welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 16, A Matter of Time. Yay! I'm very excited we finally got to this episode for one very specific reason, which we'll, we'll get to that when we get there, but you might know what it is. <laughs> so you're starting off talking about this episode by saying something about this is amazing. We'll get to it in about 30 minutes. Stand by. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it for everybody. <laughs> can, you at least, can you at least narrow it down? It's because it's the first appearance of... <gasps> Maybe. Okay. Which, which probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you remember this episode? Because we've had that the last couple of weeks where we've been like, I didn't really remember this one. This one I like. I definitely remember this one. For but what um, No, I did not. Well, okay. I well I remembered the beginning of it, and then I didn't remember how it ended up. Ah, uh, okay. If that makes any sense. Yes. And and I also loved how in this episode, how um, I keep forgetting the actor's name, which, you know, it, I, I do that a lot. The the guy that's controlling the buttons on the gate, the young, cute lieutenant. OK, Simmons is the yeah. character's name. I forget the actor's name, but Lieutenant Simmons. Or, yeah, sorry, so. No. But Simmons, that's his name. So the first time that we see him, there's this big side storyline about how he like. Is totally in love with Carter, but won't say anything because he's too shy and cute and, like, never mentioned again. Yeah. And, like, every time the two talk, it's, like, work-related only. <laughs> <laughs> That's there's very no, true, yes. There's no hidden context anymore whatsoever. It's just business as usual. Nope. Yep. Business as usual. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, find that, I find that very interesting every time he comes back in the episode. <laughs> okay. That's all I have to say about that. Alrighty. Well, we can talk more about him when we get into the episode. And he finally shows up. We can talk about it. Yay! All right. Okay. So this episode originally aired on January 29th, 1999. The story is by Misha Rashovich. The teleplay is by Brad Wright. And it was directed by Martin Wood. In this episode, after gating to a world on the edge of a black hole, the SGC cannot disengage the Stargate, threatening all of Earth with a time-distorting gravity field. Lots of peril in this episode. Yes, otherwise known as we almost screw the planet again. Again. Sorry. We almost lost the planet again. Oh, man. We're sorry. Please forgive us because we're cute and adorable. No. It's kind of how they always end all of these. They never end them in a solemn way. They always end them like, whoopsie. But it didn't actually Sorry. happen, so everything's fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Uh, like Dennis and Menace. A little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so as we go through this episode, in addition to the usual stuff we do, um, I shall be interspersing some facts and information obtained from the YouTube channel Dr. Becky. Uh, she did a video called Astrophysicist Reacts to a Matter of Time. Um, I'll put the link to it in the show notes. So if you want to go watch it, you can. It was actually very interesting. I thought she did a really great job of sort of explaining things without being like, they're just totally wrong and terrible. Like she gets this is a TV show, so they need to do TV show things. But if you want to know what the real actual astrophysics of this thing is, here's that information. So I found it very interesting. Do they have her just watching clips or does she go through the whole episode? No, she watched like the whole episode. Like the video is only like 20 minutes. So it's obviously, you know, cut down. But she does, yeah, watch the whole episode. So Oh, wow. But she has never seen Stargate before. So she has like no context for anything (laughs) that like happens or who any of the characters are. So there's some bits where she's just like, I don't get it. It's like, yeah, it's fine. You kind of needed to see these three (laughs) other episodes first, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So she was probably just like, ooh, MacGyver. I don't know who that is. <laughs> no, she didn't even say anything about MacGyver. So what? I don't know. Okay. I think she looked up like a general summary for like what the show is. So she had some context, but some of the specifics that happened that reference, you know, prior episodes, she obviously had no idea. But okay. I thought it was great. Go watch it. Give her some views because I thought it was very interesting and entertaining and not like super dry science, techno battle stuff. It was good. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yay. 
Okay. So this episode, we open on, we sort of pan by a planet, and then we just have a shot of space and what appears to be the formation of a brand new black hole. And then we cut back to that planet where we see an SG team running in slow motion from something. They're very afraid. And their voices are also all like distorted and warped and like slowed. And they're like, dial the gate, you know, like how that happens. So back at the SGC. Okay. I like this scene. I think this is really cute where Jack is like, okay, what's the whole wormhole thing again? And to like Sam and she explains it and she does a really good job of explaining it. And he seems like actually really start to understand like, what she's talking about and she uses the whole like apple metaphor about you know wormholes and how it's like a worm burrowing through an apple rather than like traveling around the outside of the apple and he's like oh okay but then she like keeps going with it into like really super technical like scientific information and he just he just that's when he just like glazes over and it's like that's a step too far a little bit too far Carter but yeah I thought like the beginning he's like because the wormholes aren't always there right which i mean it's a valid question i guess i really had wanted this to be like a i imagined in my head that it was a really great improv that they were just recording through (gasps) but then carter started out with like the the super techno babble and i was like there's no way she'd be able to make this up so i mean amanda tapping does like she said in interviews, like she will actually go and like do research and read scientific journals and like books to really understand what they're having her say as Sam. But yeah, I don't think that's sort of improv type information she could just sort of spout off the top of her head. So but at least not yet. Yeah, but it would be really great improv scene. It would have been good. Yeah, because it, it seems like it's a very casual thing. Like there's nothing really happening. They're just kind of standing there talking as like colleagues and friends and it's mm-hmm. good. I like it. It's cute. Mm-hmm. Um, we then get an incoming traveler, uh, like an un- unscheduled incoming traveler. And we learn that SG teams four, six, and 10 are currently off world and that Daniel's with SG six. Uh, so they go to the computers, do the thing. However, the computer can't identify the incoming signal as anybody's like GDO code. So it's like, well, who is it then? And Sam asks Simmons, like play it over the speaker. And it sounds familiar but like it's it's off like it's it's there's like these beats in it but it's not quite right so sam tells simmons to then run it through the computer and like speed it up which he does and eventually it gets recognized as sg10's gdo code it's like and he's like that's why would it be slow why did why would we have had to speed it up that's weird well, anyway, we need to open the iris so we don't hear, like, thuds of the SG team running into the iris. So they open the iris. Everybody stands there watching, waiting for SG-10 to come through. Nothing happens. And then the wormhole disconnects. So Jack immediately requests permission to go on a rescue mission. And Hammond's like, hold on. Let's send, like, a mount first and, like, figure out what the situation is. Good SG-1, call. Yeah, very good call. SG-1, SG-3 be on standby and prepped and ready to go, but we'll send them out first as we cut to the opening credits. Insert interpretive dance. (laughs) Yes. So when we come back from the credits, uh, SG-1 minus Daniel and Hammond are heading towards the gate room as a map is being prepped on the ramp. And the mission that SG-10 were on was a routine reconnaissance of P3W451, which Sam says is a binary system, which is apparently very, very cool. So what do you know about binary star systems, Rachel? There are two of them. Yes. That's it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Okay. So binary stars are two stars, a pair of stars that revolve around a common center of mass. So they're not really orbiting each other, but they're orbiting a sort of shared middle point. There's also the term double star that gets used, which is... Like double rainbow? (laughs) Not quite. Uh, It sometimes refers to an actual binary star system or simply refers to stars that appear to be close together in the sky, like from our perspective, even though they're actually very, very far apart. Um, And apparently, according to the wiki, 
Uh, apparently, English is really the only language that differentiates between double stars and binary stars. Like other languages, it's just all the same thing. So, oh. Way yeah. to go, English. Yes. The other interesting thing is that the orbital patterns of binary stars can take, like, many, 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 like, hundreds or thousands of years to, like, make a full orbit. So for most of the observable binary stars we've observed, they have not yet completed a full orbit of whatever their yeah. orbit is, which is interesting. Um, but the other interesting thing is that, according to Dr. Becky, 85% of star systems are binary star systems. So I'm going to ask how common they are. That's fun. They're actually super common. So our star system being a single star system is actually really rare. And that should be the interesting thing, not the binary star, because binary stars are apparently like all over the place. So, but us only having one star, that's the interesting thing. So, yes. So we're a uni star system? I don't know. I think just single star system. Well, then it would be single or double and uni or bi, right? Oh, I I suppose. Yeah. Unistar, I guess. Yeah. Because like unistar. Unistar! Yes. Okay. So the Milky Way (laughs) is a unistar system. Woohoo. There you go. Okay, so the, the, the you know, brief thing about binary stars were there. So um, so they're talking a little bit more about, like, what SG-10 was doing on the planet, and there were apparently indications that whatever indigenous life was there was recently extinct, so they were trying to find why and, like, maybe what had happened, and also there were no signs of any kind of attack, although I don't know how they would know that, because as far as I knew, everything was fine, and then they dialed in and the gate shut off, so... I don't know how they would know about any kind of signs. But anyway, Jack, basically, Jack just, like, really, really, really wants to get there to save SG-10. And again, Hammond's like, hold on. Let's actually send them out through and get some, like, pictures and, like, audio and video and information of what's actually there so you're not, like, walking into an ambush. So Malp gets sent through. And up to the control room, the first images are starting to be received. And it's just, it's red. Which is weird. And uh, they're receiving the incoming data, but it's apparently at a very, very slow rate. So Sam orders the video to be put through the computer to adjust the light wavelength because she thinks the images that are being received are shifted towards the infrared side of the light spectrum. So they get the images processed and we see a picture of Major Boyd, who's the leader of SG-10, seemingly like frozen on the screen like it just looks like a still frame doesn't look like video which is what they should have been receiving and so Hammond asks for the video video to be played back in real time and Simmons is like that's all we've gotten 11 frames in six minutes so basic sort of standard like home video kind of video footage is 24 frames per second so this is like they've gotten in six minutes like not even half a second of video footage. And so it's like, maybe there was a malfunction and Jack's like, I don't think so. There, something's wrong there. We need to go and get them now. And Hammond's like about to say yes when Sam's like, no, 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 we can't go. I think I know what's going on. So she asks him to like tilt the camera of the mouth up and then sort of points at a specific area of the sky for him to like zoom in on and hey look it's a black hole so did you notice that they were able to tilt the mouth pretty quickly yeah i mean yeah that is kind of a glitch that i figured they probably should have taken a while yeah they should have taken a very long time if they've only gotten 11 frames in six minutes like the video still has to go through everything it's gotten before it can send the new stuff of the tilted camera angle but you know tv (laughs) so also i kind of had the thought to myself of like what do the people on the other side that are stuck you know what is what does sg10 see on the other side do they see the map come through yeah i mean so i read something about about yeah discussions about so what happened like at the very beginning of the episode like what would have happened from sg10's perspective where they dialed the gate the SGC waited and then the gate shut off after 30 seconds or something. And 
what SG-10 would have seen was they got there, they dialed the gate, it connected, and then it shut down, like, almost immediately from their perspective because of the whole time dilation thing we'll learn about in a little Mm -hmm. bit. So for them, from their perspective, because they're there, everything is happening in, in quote unquote real time for them. Like they don't see things moving in slow motion because they are there experiencing the speed of motion that everything is moving at. So their perspective of, or perception of how time is passing is consistent with how time is passing, I think, if that makes sense. Sure. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, so there's the black hole. That's why everything's weird. And Hammond's like, well, why doesn't SG-10 just like dial the gate and come through? And so like they're trying, but the problem with the black hole, according to Jack, is that the closer you get, the slower time goes. Jack is still smart in this episode. I'm very happy about it. So, yay. (laughs) Yeah. So Hammond asks like what's going to happen to them. And Sam starts going on like a whole techno babble explanation. And he's just like captain. And she's like, right. Sorry. Uh, Their bodies will be slowly pulled apart, which is uh, a very basic explanation of my very favorite scientific term, spaghettification. (laughs) I just, I love that that's a real word. Spaghettification is a real word used in the scientific community to explain what happens as you approach the like event horizon of a black hole. It's very I still think they should have had time to get through. They were that close to the Stargate. Well, there's also the problem of if there's no matter in the wormhole, like there's nothing to keep it open. So our gate shut it down because nothing was coming through. So why is it staying connected? Nah, true. You know? True. So, oh, I forgot to mention. Um, So there's a little goof. So back when they first get the image in and it's like red on the picture, um, according to Dr. Becky, um, the image itself would not have been red shifted, um, like would not have been like colored red because the data of the image that like this pixel is like blue, this pixel is yellow, this pixel is whatever would have been received as is. The signal that contains the information is red shifted. So like the signal itself is coming through slower, but the actual data contained within that signal is not so the picture should not have been like in like that red wash. It should, we should have gotten it immediately as just a regular colored image. If hmm. it's like actual reality, if that makes hmm. sense. So hmm. I yeah. wonder who it was that suggested the other thing then. Um, like I mean, what, what sort of expert that was like, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense visually for like what needs to happen in the show to have the image colored red. So Sam can make the leap of, oh, my God, it's red shifted. Holy crap, we can't go there. So, I mean, again, that was a thing where she was like, I get why they did it. It's not how it would really be, but it works for the reality of the show. So, mm-hmm. yeah. interesting. Yes. So, um, but basically, um, so back to, you know, the SG team getting pulled apart. There's but there there's nothing we can do to save them. There We can't help. There's nothing we can do. We are helpless at this point, unfortunately. So Hammond's like, shut down the gate. And Sam's like, wait. There's a very cool site. We should not be able to observe this thing. And yet we are. We need to keep the gate open and the mouth going. And Jack's like, we're watching good men die in slow motion. And Sam, thankfully, looks a little chastised. And she's like, right. Sorry. Okay. So, yes, disconnect the gate. But it won't disconnect. There's Mm. an error that says shutdown sequence incomplete. Cannot disengage. Surprise. So something has gone wrong. Uh, We cut to outside of Cheyenne Mountain to not like the main entrance, but one of the little sort of side hidden entrances, apparently, where a team of special forces soldiers have arrived. And apparently the guards that are outside the mountain there have been out of contact with the people inside for four hours. But as as one of the airmen says, it was getting a little funky before then. And the uh, the lead guy is like, is that like an official term, like funky? <laughs> is, that, is that an official military term? And he's like, everybody was talking really slow, like when the batteries on your Walkman are dying, he explains. And so 
they're going in to check on things. Apparently there's a shaft that goes all the way down to the bottom. And luckily they have ropes so they can rappel down the shaft mm-hmm. and get to where they need to go. So uh, back inside the SGC, Hammond is trying to get the president on the phone, but it seems like the phone is not working because he just kind of, he, he talks for a little bit and then just kind of like looks at it and hangs it up. Apparently nobody was there. Uh, in the Every con- time I see him on that phone now, I just think of the line where he's like, so do you know what color this phone is? <laughs> I know. I want him to say it every single time. <laughs> it's such a good Hammond line. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the control room, they're still having trouble getting the gate to shut down. Like we get, I think this is the first instance we have of Styler with his big ass wrench trying to like disconnect the capacitors on the gate, but like nothing's happened. And they've also passed the 38 minute mark, which is supposed to be the limit of how long a wormhole can be active. So somehow the gate is getting power directly from somewhere else. And is it? Is it? Uh, Simmons then informs Hammond that they've lost communication below level 24. So the next secure line for him to get in contact with the president is up uh, at the Nora level, which is the main level of the Cheyenne Mountain facility. So Jack's been there kind of in the background and he just walks up to Sam and is like, what would happen if we just pulled the plug? It's so it's, it's almost like, he, so they, like they've tried like shutting it down and Jack's like, what if we just unplug it? With it? Turn it off and on again. Turn it off and on again. Best so, rule of IT. Yes. Um, and also during like all of this, like the event horizon is behaving very oddly. Like it's sort of like swirling around in a circle and we get a shot of like above the gate and we see, it happened in the first movie. It doesn't happen in the show, but it happened in the first movie where it sort of like funnels out like behind the gate. Um, yeah, you know, it kind of goes the backwards. Pulled. Yeah, like it's kind of getting like pulled into like a funnel shape kind of thing. Um, but anyway, so yeah, something funky is going on with the wormhole like itself, which is kind of the worrying little bit. So Jack and Siler head over to the power vault while Sam and Simmons direct them on sort of like which breakers they need to throw. And Sam orders everyone in the gate room to sort of like get away from like all the like electrical stuff in the gate because they have no idea what's going to happen when they start throwing breakers. So the first breakers get thrown. We get sparks flying, things shutting off, but the gate is still on. So... Sam suggests pulling the main breaker and Simmons is like, but we can't. She's like, well, we have to. It's the, it's the only thing left to try. So Jack and Siler go and do that. Unfortunately, Siler gets electrocuted doing this uh, power like surges and sparks are flying off of the gate and took like jumps to try to get out of the way. Unfortunately, he doesn't quite get clear and he gets burned a little bit. And it's an excellent so get, place for a slow-mo dive, like the no <laughs> out of the way. Yeah. Kind of dive. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, so we get med teams called to the gate room and the vault to help Tilk and Siler. And unfortunately, through all this, it still didn't work. The power from our side of things is cut off, but the gate is still active. So. Uh, uh-oh. Um. So Sam heads down into the gate room to like help Tilk and there's some small fires in the gate room and Sam notices that the smoke is sort of being like pulled into the wormhole. Like it's not just sort of floating around as it would in a room. It's getting like actually pulled into the wormhole. So she walks up the ramp and like takes off her dog tags and holds them very loosely like in her fingertips in front of her. And we see them get sort of like pulled up. So they're sort of horizontal with the ground and then get like pulled through the event horizon and she yells up into the control room to close the iris and Simmons is like it's outgoing nothing can come through and she's like accept the gravity from the black hole so they close what? yes so good uh, decision this, yeah this is another thing that would not really that w- this wouldn't happen <laughs> in reality like gravity can't come through a wormhole but you know it's cool it works. It's great. So, yeah. <laughs> was that was that another thing stated by the yeah. expert? Yeah, because the whole like gravity with the black hole thing, like you have to actually be like in the vicinity of the black hole, and like 
it's your mass that's affected by the black hole and there's no mass going through the wormhole. Like the wormhole isn't mass. I don't, unless the wormhole is mass. I don't know. But um, like if one side of a wormhole is connected to a black hole, you shouldn't feel the effects on the other side because the other side's mass is not anywhere near the black hole. But still, it makes for good TV. So it's it's all good yeah. at the end of the day. <laughs> so that's fun that, like, she's just kind of disproving the entire basis of the episode of, like, eh, no, there would be no risk of gravity yeah. coming through the wormhole. Good try, but not yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Okay. So at this point, Hammond has finally reached the surface and is greeted by soldiers pointing guns at him. But luckily, Major fucking Davis is there to save the day and be like, put your guns down, Major Hammond. And yay, Colin Cunningham. Yay! Oh, cross them off your your, your start, your Vancouver actors bingo list. Because we made it. Yay. Badass. Yeah. He's great. I like him. Do Uh, you? I had no idea. Just a little, you know. Mm, Just a little bit. (laughs) Yes. So this is Major Davis from the Office of the Joint Chiefs, and they had been operating under the assumption that there had been an alien incursion because they've been out of contact with the SGC for so long. And through this whole conversation, he's trying to get Hammond onto a plane and be like, we got to go. And Hammond's like, I'm not going anywhere until I talk to the president. And he's like, he's waiting for you on the plane. Like, well, I mean, the president's not on the plane, but get on the plane and we're taking you to the president. So we need to go, like, right now. And, and Hammond is like, oh, okay. And, like, gets on the plane. So, or, like, you know, leaves with them to get onto the plane. Lead so. the way, son. Yes, lead the way. So inside the SGC, Dr. Frazier is making her way towards somewhere to help the men who have been injured when the special forces team breaks through one of the, like, escape hatch doors and, like, stop her with their guns because they have no idea what's going on. And so their leader is Colonel Frank Cromwell, and he's, you know, show me your dog tags and stuff. And he tells her that all contact was lost with the SGC five hours ago now, and that they think there's an alien invasion going on. And she's like, well, you're wrong. And he's like, given what I've been told about this place, you might be one of the aliens we think has taken over. So... I can't really believe you right now. And they order her to move out and they follow her down the hall as she continues on wherever she was going. So we cut to Major Davis briefing Hammond on what's going on in a Jeep on the way to the airfield. And somehow people outside the SGC know that there's a whole time dilation thing happening and that time is moving slower inside the facility than at the surface. How, how could they know that? All they do is they've been out of contact. They don't know. This is the only part of the episode that I'm just like, I don't, I can't make this, I can't logic my way into believing this part of the episode because how would the Pentagon know there's a time dilation? That is like the last thing. I don't know. Because of course the one dude was like, everybody sounded like, they do when your batteries go dead on your walkie-talkie, and all of a sudden they were like, oh, "Time dilation, of course." But Cromwell, the only thing it could possibly be. But they didn't report that. Like Cromwell just showed up, and like he got told that, and then he went down. I don't know. TV magic. I don't know. That is um, that is definitely one of those leaps that you're like, "What? Okay." That's definitely, you know, not not the Occam's razor explanation of things happening. Are, are you familiar with Occam's razor? I think is that that's the right term, right? I'm thinking of the right one. Occam's uh, razor is one of those things where, like, you yeah. hear it all the time, and I forget which is which between, like, Occam's razor, Murphy's Law. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah, not so Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, Occam, <laughs> Occam's razor is the one where, like, the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Ah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, they're connected to a wormhole. There's a time dilation. That's really far down the Occam's razor list. Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't think they've received any information that would cross anything else off of that list. Mm -hmm. But anyway, they apparently know that. And Hammond does confirm that, you know, they've been connected to a black hole that's on the other side of the wormhole. 
And Davis uh, is like, so since time is basically at a standstill, that's why you can't disconnect your gate, which is, again, is just a theory, which how do they know the gate is still connected? Again, how do they know that? They should not know that unless they get power reports every five minutes. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But well, here's a prime opportunity for a fun fact that we just make up ourselves. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so how did the Joint Chiefs in the Pentagon come up with the the knowledge that there's time dilation and the gate won't disconnect. Well, okay, so by the time they pick up Hammond, would they have been able to detect any weirdness from like just outside the mountain itself? No, because they no. I no, there's no scientific equipment there yet to monitor stuff that's happening. Mm, so they would have had to do it with some sort of internal sensors or something. Yes. So I'm wondering if there was any other additional reporting of weirdness as they lost contact, like up the, out the bubble. Right. Maybe does the SGC like just sort of auto send reports every hour, every two hours about stuff and timestamps were weird because the SGC's clock didn't match with the Pentagon's clock. I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think out there? How 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 did the Pentagon and the Joint Chiefs know what was happening with no information at all about what was happening? Also, maybe some sort of auto-reporting on when the gate goes active? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And they didn't receive a report that it had shut down. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Yes. Uh, so, anyway, so... Anyway, they know all this, and so they'll be conferencing Hammond and with the president once he's on the plane. Um, I'm going to go with Major Davis is so freaking awesome that he was just like, obviously, time dilation. Got it. Done. All right. Um, Promote me. (laughs) So there is a little goof in the scene. So when Hammond comes up to the service, he's just in, like, his, like, shirt sleeves and, like, pants and, like, just, you know, his sort of casual in-base uniform. But... In the Jeep, he somehow has his, like, jacket and hat on when he wouldn't have had gone back to get them. So do they just keep spares for everybody so he can be in full official uniform at all time? I don't know. I was just a little Maybe like, Maybe they do that, that he from? can be in the presence of the president. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But he I was a little like. Had all his yeah. But it was a bit like, where did that come from? Time dilation. <laughs> so miracles. It provides hats and jackets for military <laughs> personnel. <laughs> oh. Uh, so back inside the SGC in the infirmary, we see Siler getting wheeled in while Tilk is being looked at. Apparently, Tilk's going to be out of commission for a few days. But like Siler's like Siler's like out. He's definitely much worse condition that I don't really know how Tilk is gonna be out for a few days because it doesn't seem that bad and he's Tilk with the symbiote and he heals really quickly. So I don't know. I love um, how they're also I, they're they're doing my favorite thing with like just the dab, the makeup yeah. dab to not yes. remove the makeup. So with with like the the bandage on him, there's someone yeah. behind with gloves on, just like tappy tappy. Yes. Tap tap tappy. <laughs> yep, still on there. <laughs> Yep. Happy <laughs> Oh. Um. We then get like a sort of like low rumbling noise and like things shake sort of like an earthquake. But apparently Sam says that these are gravity waves, which I did some research and this is very interesting. So gravitational waves were theoretical until September 14th of 2015, which is when they were first observed by the laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, or LIGO, and then they announced their findings in 2016. And it took them so long to verify that the gravitational waves were real because they were so large, quote unquote, that they thought it was an error. But gravitational waves are actually very, like, we're talking like atoms movement, movement of gravitational waves, like, not oh, like earthquake style rumblings like we need it for the tv it's cool for the tv but um also like this was in 1999 and they weren't like first observed until 2015 so stargate was really ahead of its time with there with that one hey, so, way to go stargate yeah 
So um, Sam thought like the wormhole would sort of insulate them from the effects of the black hole, but nope. And she again starts to go into like scientific techno babble stuff. And Jack's just like, just get to the point. And she's like, oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> bad, very bad. No good, yeah. very bad day. Yep. Yeah. So Jack then heads out into the hall and runs into Fraser with Cromwell and his team. And it seems Jack and Cromwell have a history of some sort because Jack doesn't really seem too thrilled to see him. And somehow Cromwell just seeing Jack, like Cromwell drops the whole alien incursion thing and is just, okay, everything's fine. I like, I mean, not fine, but he's just like the whole alien incursion thing is just completely dropped at this point, which I don't really know why, but okay. Sure. I do love their encounter where they're just kind of like, cause they don't want to, you know, reveal just yet in the show. So they're just kind of like, Oh, it's you. It's it's, it's a little bit like, hello, Newman. Yes. (laughs) A little bit of that. You, you, yes. You still Uh, look terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so uh jack takes him to the control room where cromwell gets his first look at the stargate and he asks what the problem is and jack explains the whole black hole thing and that it's really bad and cromwell is like why he's like well things get sucked into it which is that's not a good thing Mm. uh good enough for me no So Sam then comes in and Jack introduces them and she gets told about the whole five hour thing. And she's just like, what time is it according to your watch? Because my watch says it's 1330 and Cromwell's like, it's 1900. And Sam's like, I need to get out of here because this is very bad. And we then hear Simmons call out from the gate room uh, because apparently he's doing some monitoring and his voice is sort of doing that distorted slow thing and apparently he's measuring like the gravity and he's measuring seven g's at the iris so yeah things are getting getting very bad in the sgc at least in the gate room and uh so sam thinks the wormhole is actually like increasing the effect of the black hole Uh, and the point being that time is moving slower where they are than it is outside the mountain and Cromwell's like time is time and she's like not according to relativity so should we get into the theory of relativity a little bit here time is money (laughs) money is relative well I don't know I was thinking to think of something funny but I can't okay So the theory of general relativity is Einstein's explanation for how gravity affects the fabric of space-time, and it was first published in 1915. There's a lot more to it, but the part that's important for this episode is that very large objects actually distort space-time, which you may have seen the, the metaphor that it's like a bowling ball on a trampoline, where if like the surface of a trampoline is space time, you put a bowling ball in it, it actually like warps the material of the trampoline around it. So what this has to do with time is that the closer you are to the center uh, of gravity of whatever that object is, the slower time moves. So the closer you are to a black hole, the slower time passes. And, um, There's actually an experiment done on this that Dr. Becky talks about that was really interesting. Um, It was done in 1972 where two very precise atomic clocks were put on two different planes and flown at two different altitudes. And when they came back, there were the times were different. I mean, we're talking like nanoseconds difference, but with how precise these clocks are, the nanoseconds matter a lot and the plane that flew at the lower altitude. So it was closer to earth's gravity was slower than the clock that was higher and therefore farther away from like earth's center Mm -hmm. of gravity. So, so are you also saying that the theory of relativity was published exactly a hundred years before we saw the evidence of gravity waves? That's pretty interesting. Yes. Which that 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 and that's I think that's a thing that Einstein theorized that was part of this. Um, but it yeah, a hundred years to to include more evidence that it was correct. Yes. That's fun. Yes. 
So that's the part of relativity that is important for us to understand for this episode. So we won't get into anything else, but there's a lot to it. But it's Einstein, and I'm, I'm not sure I could understand everything else. So <laughs> we'll just leave it there for now. <laughs> um, anyway, so they might not be in a black hole, but being connected to one via the gate is apparently enough to feel the effects of it. And Sam, like, really, really needs to get up to the surface so she can contact the Pentagon and let them know what's going on. Well, there's no need for her to do that because Hammond has just come from there. And they told him everything that she just (laughs) did. Yes. And apparently Hammond has been gone 18 hours. Oh, man. Yes. And he says there and back again, which I really want to know if that's like a direct Lord of the Rings reference. But. Yeah, that would have been cute. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so. He's been gone 18 hours and basically the only plan they've been able to come up with after eight, nine hours of discussion or something is that they have to activate the self-destruct on the base. I have to imagine there could, there had to have been some other plan other than we need to blow it up. Yeah. I I really want to know what those other plans are and why they got dismissed as not being valid. Um, so they seem to believe that the effects of the black hole will help contain the blast to like within the SGC and not affect like the surrounding Cheyenne mountain area. And Sam's really not sure that will work. She's very concerned that they could blow up the SGC, but the gate would still survive and stay connected. And so it wouldn't do anything. And Hammond's like, well, that's the decision that's been made. So that's what we're going to do. Let's get the SGC evacuated and get the self-destruct set off. But, the self-destruct needs two people to activate. So Jack and Cromwell are going to stay behind to set the self-destruct. And Hammond gets over the PA to order the evacuation of the base. Oh, man. I think that Sam is totally justified in being, like, super angry with this plan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm with her. She's This is not a good plan. No. Seriously? After all that? After nine hours? She's just going to blow it up? Oh, yeah. my God. Who so. was in that room? Yeah. Apparently not Major Davis. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Hammond tells him to, like, wait five minutes before setting off the self-destruct. And Sam's like, yeah, make sure you have enough time to get out. And and Jack is just like, time. Funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's apparently one thing we have plenty of. So up on the surface, the personnel are out. And apparently Hammond had been gone for 22 hours now from the perspective of the soldiers that were, like, waiting up on the surface. And he's like, it was just, like, 20 minutes for me. And Sam then, like ramble some more and mentions that him telling Jack to wait five minutes was telling him to wait six hours to which Hammond just goes Captain Relativity gives me a headache so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like Sam's trying but this is just I mean these are smart men but they're not astrophysics physicists like she is so it's a little too much for them so anyway Uh, We then get a quick scene back inside with Jack and Cromwell and Cromwell has spotted the monitor with the picture, well, picture, quote unquote, because it's video, but it's just a picture at this point uh, with Boyd on it. And we also get a little bit of information that this was their first mission as a team. My question for you is that SG-10 was commissioned back in like episode two in uh, the line of duty where the whole Jalinar thing happened Mm -hmm. and they previously helped locate a new planet for the Nassians. So what have they been doing since then? If this is their first mission in like the months of time that have passed since their commission. So Jack said that he recommended the leader of the team, right? So I got the impression that he was new okay i maybe i had that thought too like this is their first mission with boyd as their leader not like the team's entirely first mission but their first mission okay i like that what's kind of what i got okay that works for me i like that too okay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right uh, so back on the surface, Sam's got the big whiteboard of science calculations and is like working through stuff and Tilt comes in and offers help. And she's like, what do you know about quantum gravity? He's like, nothing. But, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to like talk things out to. So she starts just sort of rambling about things and she's really mad that 
the Pentagon is basically working with data that is completely contradicted by what they're actually observing is happening. And they're just going to blow it up and she can't stop it. And, oh, it's really annoying. And this is a thing that Dr. Becky likes where Sam acknowledges that what is being observed is not actually possible given the rules of physics that we know about today or, you know, at that time. So the the acknowledgement of that is like really cool because this stuff should not be happening in reality. And it also should not be happening on the show. So, yay. So that's how they kind of got around doing doing whatever they wanted. Yes. By being Uh, like, none of this should be happening right now, but look. So in the control room, Jack and Cromwell are getting set to initiate the self-destruct and sort of put their codes in to get everything ready. And Cromwell turns to Jack and says, maybe now you know how it feels, which what is that about? Like, what is it like? What has happened between these two men? I need to know. Please tell me because like, what does, what does that mean? What, how, how, what feels like, what is it? What does it refer to? We only end up getting little bits and pieces of their story, right? Do they ever talk about it like ever, ever again? Um, well, considering what happens at the end of the episode, no, but I mean, we do get a little bit about, yeah, like what happened and why Jack seemingly hates Cromwell at Mm. this point. So, um, but anyway, two minutes to go before they set off the self-destruct. So, right. Uh, Two minutes to hash it out like men. Yes. (laughs) So back up on the surface, there's now like scientific like monitoring equipment that's been set up and Sam's looking at it and it's sort of showing the the boundaries of the time dilation field and it like keeps expanding and it's not good at all. And Sam is very concerned that the effects of the gravity field will actually weaken the effectiveness of the bomb. Again, repeating that whole possibility of the gate actually not being destroyed and like slowly sucking like you know Cheyenne Mountain and then Colorado and then the United States and everything into it and then poof there goes Earth but you know at least Daniel will get to live out there because he's off with SG6 and not here and Hammond is like for once I really hope you're wrong because if you are then we can start over with the second gate at Nellis and well, hold on wait a minute that's it the, second, the whole the second gate the what they use an explosion but a very specific and focused explosion aimed at the wormhole to do the whole Antarctica thing. Again, for like the fourth time, <laughs> I think. Third or fourth time. How did nobody if, think of this already? Even in the president's room. I know, because they don't understand what happened with the whole Antarctica thing. So, but basically, again, overload the gate. It'll make the wormhole jump, disconnect it from where SG-10 is, disconnect it from the black hole. It'll connect to a regular planet. Everything will be back to how it's supposed to be, and you can just shut the gate down because it won't be connected to a black hole anymore. So we have a plan that's not blowing up the mountain. So yay. 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 In the control room, they're down to one minute. And here's where we get the history of basically what happened between Jack and Cromwell. They were apparently on a mission together in Iraq, and somehow the enemy found out what they were doing, and their their squadron was shot at, and Jack went down, and instead of going back for Jack or going after him, Cromwell took off with the rest of the team and because he thought Jack was dead, and he's like, I wasn't. I was stuck in an Iraqi prison for four months. And Jack's like, what do you want? Do you want me to forgive you? And Cromwell's kind of like, yeah. And he's like, that's not going to happen. I'm not, because what happened to no man left behind? You left me behind. And I was in an Iraqi prison for four months. That's not yeah, something not cool. that can really not be Not cool, free. man. Not cool at all. And Cromwell's like, you're leaving Boyd behind. And Jack's like, not the same thing at all. They know there is nothing that can be done for those men. They know that. Cromwell did not know Jack was dead. He thought Jack was dead. There's a very big difference. But suddenly the glass windows at like the front of the control room start to buckle and one of the panels like explodes and sort of gets like sucked towards the iris. And Sam and Siler then come running into the control room telling them not to activate the self-destruct because she has another plan. Another plan. So we see Siler setting up some ropes, and as he gets 
close to like where the window is the the rope is basically being pulled now horizontally towards the iris so gravity's getting like real funky in the gate room and jack and cromwell are in uh g suits that should help them deal with the gravity effects as they get closer to the iris and at this point they're just waiting for the bomb to be flown in from travis which travis is travis air force base would you like some information on Travis Air, For- Air Force Base? No. No? Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Give it to me. Uh, so Travis Air Force Base is on the southwest edge of the Sacramento Valley in Fairfield, California. It is home to Ooh. the 60th Air Mobility Wing, which is the largest wing in the Air Force's Air Mobility Command, and is home to a very large number of C-5 Galaxy airplanes, <gasps> which we've talked about a number of times. Uh, it was originally named Fairfield Suisun Army Air Base when construction began in 1942. In 1947, after World War II, when the Air Force was actually separated from the Army and created as its own uh, service branch, it was renamed the Fairfield Suisun Air Force Base. It was then renamed to Travis Air Force Base in 1951 for Brigadier General Robert F. Travis, who was killed when a B-29 B Super Fortress crashed shortly after takeoff on August 5th, 1950, and the ensuing fire caused the 10,000 pounds of highly explosive cargo to, it was a Mark IV nuclear weapon, to detonate, uh, killing General oh, Jarvis and 18 others that were on board. So oh, terrible. Yeah, that oh. was really... So, but, uh, yeah, so apparently, um, like Fairfield, California, like a lot of Air Force people end up like retiring out there. So there's like a very large military presence in the city out there because of the Travis Air Force Base. So, oh, so they just they kind can, of go, they go there because they're stationed and they end up just staying. Yeah. Huh, so, all right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so there is also kind of a goof in this scene. So, Jack and Cromwell aren't, like, really wearing G-suits. So G-suits are those, they're basically really tight pants that contain, like, little inflatable, like, pockets in them that, um, like, pilots and astronauts who fly at, like, high speeds and so are subjected to large amounts of G-forces wear to um, help keep the blood flow like up in like the heart and the brain where it needs to be because when you experience a lot of g-force when you're sitting down your the blood has a tendency to like pool like down in your feet because it can't like combat the effects of gravity to like get up where it needs to be so they have these like pressurized pants basically but they're connected to an air supply that's in the plane itself and Jack and Cromwell are not connected to any kind of air supply to keep the pants like pressurized. So I don't really know. Well, but no, they could be wearing the right outfits just for no reason at all. Yeah. They're there. Cause they're, they're, they're not wearing pressurized pants or they are wearing the pressurized pants, but they're not pressurized. I don't know, but there's no, air supply connected to, to them so the pants can't do what they need to do <laughs> to keep them safe so i don't know um so they're waiting for the bomb and then hey there's silk with the bomb yeah that was great and apparently it's actually been several days so oh yeah so fun fact the the, the bomb that tilk is carrying is actually a high fidelity woofer speaker so it's <laughs> <laughs> just like a speaker that's been like painted to look like a bomb so <laughs> That's funny. Yep. Well, either so, way, it's gonna sound amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so they get the bomb hooked up to one of the ropes, and then Jack and Cromwell are hooked up to their own ropes, and they start like sort of making their way down. And Tilk inquires about setting off the bomb remotely, but Sam says, given all the sort of specificities about like where and how the bomb needs like how far it needs to be away from the iris, the angle it needs to be at and all that stuff. It just can't be done remotely because of the whole time dilation thing. Like it has to be done by somebody who's there in the same time bubble as the bomb, basically. So do you find um, it interesting how much gravitational pull was happening like in the gate room versus the control room? 
Yeah, it's like everything in the control room is fine, but the glass has been broken, and immediately on the other side of the glass, things are bad. Yeah, it's and little, it's so bad they have to like lower themselves on a rope horizontally. Yeah, yeah. So I found that I found that really odd. A little bit, sort of like here's where it like it does. It's not. It's sort of like bad gravity, regular gravity. It's not like there's bad gravity, kind of okay gravity, a little more okay, okay. Like mm-hmm. I I always figured it'd be kind of a gradient thing, but it doesn't seem to be at least how it's being visualized for us. So the, I don't know. the expert didn't talk about it. No, she didn't really. Because she probably saw it and was like, I'm not even going to touch that one. Well, this because she'd already, she'd already <laughs> touched on, like, we shouldn't be having the gravity effects through the wormhole. So that shouldn't mm-hmm. be happening even at all. So none of this should be happening. No. We should all be fine. Yes. <laughs> um, we then get a quick scene up on the surface with Hammond and Simmons where they ponder if the new plan will be successful. And, well, they'll find out tomorrow for them because that's how bad the time dilation is at this point. So. Back inside, Siler, Tilk, and Sam are watching as Jack and Cromwell appear to move in slow motion towards the iris. And we see a chair in the control room start, like, rolling towards the window. So there's the whole gravity thing in the control room. Although, like, nothing else is getting, like, none of, like, the computer monitors. Like, they're fine. It's just that chair. Just the chair. (laughs) Just that chair. Um, but another one of the glass panels buckles and shatters and Sam tries to yell for Jack and Cromwell, but because of the whole time dilation thing, it's all like distorted. And Jack's like, did you like hear something that was weird? And he looks up and sees the glass and is like, oh my God, look out. And they try to, you know, scrunch up into a ball to avoid it. And they kind of manage to avoid the worst of it, but we see like a piece of glass get stuck in like Cromwell's rope and he's got, you know, some cuts on his face and arms and things. And Jack's just like, all right, we're close enough. Set the timer for 20 seconds, which I'm like, but Sam said it had to be a very specific distance. Are you sure you're <laughs> like, it's like, okay. I know. And very like, TV mm, magic of like, close enough. Let's just do it now. Yeah. Uh, so as Cromwell starts setting the bomb, we see the iris start to buckle and then finally get like pulled into the black hole and Jack and Cromwell both get like yanked hard sort of along with it. And Jack kind of almost like falls off his rope, but Cromwell manages like grab onto him and keep him safe. And Jack is like, go finish studying the bomb. And he's, but Cromwell like won't let go. And the piece of glass that was in Cromwell's rope finally like finishes cutting through the rope, something like that I'm not exactly sure um I didn't really think that piece of glass would have cut that huge rope yeah like I don't know but okay um but luckily Cromwell's still holding on to Jack so he basically just kind of like gets flipped around and is like holding on to Jack but because of the gravity it's like holding up like 500 pounds and Cromwell just kind of like looks up at Jack and you kind of see the look of resignation on his face of like, I can't stay holding on to you. And so he lets go and falls into the wormhole that's getting sucked into the black hole. And Jack just kind of watches horrified for a moment before finally climbing back up and finishing setting the bomb. So we then get cuts sort of between Jack climbing back up the rope and Tilk, Siler, and Sam pulling the rope to try and help get Jack back to safety in the countdown on the bomb. And the bomb gets to one and it explodes into white. And then we fade in from white to one of the lights. What could happen? What could happen? What could happen? Jack's got a little cut on his neck, but he's fine. <laughs> and we're in the infirmary. Jack's got, Jack got like a bandage on his neck. He's apparently been out because he probably... Like, once the bomb went and the wormhole did what it was supposed to do, he probably just, like, f- f- fell smacked smacked into something. Just, like, boom, to the, you know, floor of the gate room. So he probably gave himself a good concussion there. And mm-hmm. But, hey, Daniel's back. Did he miss anything? No, yeah. you. Yeah. Ah. Uh, so, but everybody's there. Luckily, the plan worked. The explosion did it was what it was supposed to do. The wormhole jumped and they were just disconnected it and there will be a new trinium strengthened iris attached to the gate. And oh yeah, it's been like two weeks since Jack reported for duty. So he's, he's going to sleep in for a little bit. 
So the end. Oh, funny. Yes. So one final question for you, and this is, I found this speculation on uh, the Gate World message boards when I was looking through for this episode. So when Cromwell let go of Jack, he fell into the wormhole. If he was still in the wormhole when the bomb went off, do you think it's possible that Cromwell got ejected out of the wormhole on P2A270, which is where the wormhole jumped to after it left the black hole planet? Well, I, I don't know, because, like, by that time, the way they have the graphics going, it was more purpley black hole than wormhole, right? It looked like the black hole was, like, eating the wormhole. Right, but if it had, like, the wormhole wouldn't have jumped, and the wormhole did jump. And if time dilation is affecting the wormhole, his travel through the wormhole would have been slowed considerably. Mm. So do you think it's possible that Cromwell is off on an alien planet all by himself right now? I'm going to go with yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. And uh, since he wasn't on any of the SG teams, he has no idea how to get back or how to communicate with anybody or how yeah. to do anything. No. <laughs> and we, we never go to P2A270, at least like in the show. Who knows if they went, you know, on a non-televised mission, but we never go visit the planet that we like connected to. So. Hmm. No, oh, man. Mm. Oh, Cromwell. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, memos. What you got? Turn this week. Um, well, I mean, we can't really say don't dial into black hole planets because they didn't really see that one coming. Yeah. Um, consult Carter before deciding to blow up a wormhole. Consult the experts, I would say. Yes. I yes, I would agree with that. Yes. Uh, I think that's all I got for this week. Yeah, I don't know. Most most of my memos usually tend to revolve around the the medical shortcomings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um. So the title for this week: A Matter of Time. I like it. I think it's clever. I like it. Um. So again, I looked at some of like the, the in in foreign languages what some of the the translations are. Most of them are like a matter of time, but uh, the Italian and the Hungarian ones were interesting. Uh, so the Italian one is stato di massima gravità, which is state of maximum gravity. Mm, okay. <laughs> and then the Hungarian one, I'm not, I don't know how to pronounce Hungarian, so I'm not going to try. But the English translation of the Hungarian title is a seemingly unending moment. I'm like, that's Ooh. very, like, philosophical and, like, mm, that one makes you think. Mm. So, I like it. I like it very much. Mm-hmm. I like that one, too. Yeah. All right. Um, I think that's all I see. Do I have anything else from Dr. Becky? Um, mm-hmm. that. Oh, Besides, so, the whole episode should not have happened. Okay. Well, even more, the whole episode should not have happened. So... In order for a star to become a black hole, it must first go supernova, which is, you know, like like a big explosion. Mm -hmm. So the explosion of the star before it becomes a black hole would have, A, knocked all of the planets out of their orbit, but also, B, basically scorched all of the planets. So 451 should have basically been, like, vaporized. Mm. (laughs) And, like they would have all been dead and like the gate would have been destroyed and like, yeah, SG 10 just would have been enveloped in a big ball of flame basically. And yeah, but you know, plot. So yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, TV. Yeah. Um, so she liked the bit about the GDO code coming through like slower. She's like, Oh, that's good. That, cause that is, that is something that probably would have happened. So. Oh, fun. Yeah. So. Oh, I like this. Adding in what things she actually did like about Yeah. <laughs> and there, there's a lot of stuff she liked. Like, overall, she had a very positive reaction to this episode. And, again, wasn't, like, trying to knock it down. It's like, she's like, I get this is a TV show. They have to do TV show things. But, you know, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the real stuff, go watch the video. Again, it'll be in the show notes. So give that a click. Give her a view. 
and it'll be you'll get some you know nice new information and maybe be a little okay. smarter for cool. it so the um, next time you can discuss black holes with the best of them yes there you go go get yourself some education and impress your family at christmas sweet <laughs> yes um any final thoughts on this episode mm. So I had wondered because Daniel showed up just at the end, like, wasn't this around the time that he would have been maybe on like paternity leave? Yes. Yeah. That's why Daniel's like, yeah, not in this episode because his daughter had like just been born. So yeah. Which I don't know what Daniel would have really had to do much in this episode, except maybe be, you know, like an ear for Sam to talk things out with. But instead that was Tilk and I, you know, I think that was a nice moment between Sam and Tilk. When mm-hmm. she was, like, just trying to, like, talk things out, like, sort of at him, if you will. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. I think that's all. Um, so, as a reminder, if you're listening to this when it's released, um, SG-1 is no longer on Netflix. Um, please keep listening. Please keep watching it somewhere, somehow. Check your local library. If you don't own the DVDs, your local library may have them. Um, they may be somewhere else out there on the internet, which I won't tell you about, but the internet is a varied and wonderful place. Um, but yeah, please keep listening and watching along with us because we'll, we'll keep going even though it's not on Netflix anymore. So we're going to keep doing our thing and we hope you keep watching along with us. And with that, thank you for listening this week. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for holiday. Bye.